I'd like you to do this morning is to go ahead and turn to Ezra chapter 5 and put a marker in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, where'd those books go? There we go. I found the easier of the two. We're doing a study through the minor prophets in Sunday school. Well, actually, I, I was doing that before we had a dedicated Sunday school teacher, and then he decided to um, go TDY on me. So pray for Brother DeGarmo while he's gone. And, um, oh, that's Habakkuk. Gotcha. He thought he could run, but he could not hide. Um, and so anyway, pray for Brother DeGarmo while he's gone. I'm looking forward to him being back already. And uh, I think he's at Senior NCO Academy. I keep forgetting to ask him. All right, so last week we paused our regularly scheduled Sunday school to give way to finish out family camp, and uh, we had a great camp, amen? It was a good time. Uh, you'll remember, though, uh, we, we started this before that, and uh, I don't want to take time to recap all that we covered last time, except to hit some highlights to kind of get us back into the context of what we're speaking about. Remember that the house of Judah had gone into captivity for 70 years, and at the end of the 70 years, the Persians came in and defeated the Babylonians, and when Cyrus came in, he issued a decree for Jerusalem and the temple to be rebuilt, and he even gave back the vessels of the house of God, which the Babylonians had taken. That's pretty good favor. And so, let's the, the captives go. Judah returns, they begin to rebuild. Remember, the people were offering willingly. Uh, revival was happening there. We saw last time they were offering after their ability for the work of the house of God. They were unified. The altar was being rebuilt so that they could call upon God and the foundation of the temple was laid. And the people, remember the elders were crying because they remembered the the days of old before captivity and the younger generation who had never seen the temple were uh, shouting for joy. And, uh, but no sooner than revival had broken out did the attacks come. And we need to understand that principle in our life. Because uh, once we start getting some victories in life, you can rest assured it's going to cause some attacks. And so we just got to get that settled. And so the enemies of Judah, they... Long story short, they wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. Cool name, amen. <laughs> and uh, they, they wrote him a letter and they said, hey, uh, listen, if Judah rebuilds, they're going to rebel. And they, they write this letter to him and they say that uh, they won't pay tribute, that in the past they were rebellious to all the kings in the land. And so they make check of the, of the history roles. And they look at the history and, and they go, well, sure enough, um, man, they, they used to own all this land. They drove out all these kings. And uh, they, they once ruled over all the countries beyond the river. And so in response, Artaxerxes issues a command, um, a decree that the work should cease in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and he said this, it's going to cease until I decide otherwise. And without putting up a fight, Judah ceased. Judah ceased. 
they stopped the work on the house of God until the second year of the reign of Darius. They didn't even write a rebuttal letter. They didn't exhaust their political means. They didn't say, hey, can you check the history rolls to see whether or not Cyrus issued us a decree? They did none of these things. And I wondered, why didn't they at least try? They just gave up when the going got tough. And they were all too willing to let the work of God cease. So picture the temple. It's, it's being rebuilt. And then all of a sudden the work stops. And in Jerusalem is this unfinished house of God. And it was like that for some years. And the people, listen now, were content to just let it stay that way. They became more focused on their own wants, on their own desires. Those things became more important than the things of God. And God is going to handle their indifference by sending two men of God, two prophets, to stir them up, Haggai and Zechariah, to get them to rebuild the temple as they should have been doing. So with that kind of recap from last time, look at Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is where we left off last time. Then the prophets Haggai, or excuse me, yeah, then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedek and began to build the house of God which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. I want you to just focus for a minute on that last phrase of verse 2. The Bible says that with them were the prophets of God helping them. Prophets were those that uh, God used to speak His Word through. And I'm not going to get into all that. We, we covered all that way back when we started um, Hosea like three years ago. And I know everybody remembers everything I ever said. Um, so we're good there. And uh, <clears throat> people shaking their head like, yeah. Um, and so we're not going to get into all that uh, the life of a prophet entailed. But in the Old Testament, when a prophet came to town, the people noticed. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 4, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? I mean, when, when the prophet showed up, there was concern. Is this going to be good? It's when the principal calls you to the office. And you got to try to remember, am I hiding anything? <laughs> or, you know, how parents are, and my dad would be like, uh, is there anything you want to tell me about today? <laughs> that wasn't a normal conversation starter. You understand? So I knew when he asked me that, I'm going through the reels of my mind. Okay, what did I do to my sisters? What did I do at school? Did I not do a chore? Um, either way, it was going to end with a whooping. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so they, they noticed this thing, but, but whether or not a prophet of God came peaceably, we see in verse 2 that the prophet was sent to help the people. They, they were there to help. And, and so, 
That help may come through edification or exhortation. It sometimes would come through reproof and rebuke. <clears throat> Do you have like a, a cough drop? Oh, thank you. Um, that's my help meet, amen. Um, God doesn't speak to prophets today as He did in the Old Testament in that manner because we do have a completed Word of God. That was a uh, knuckleball. We do have the completed Word of God, but there are still men of God in our midst. Now I'm going to say that again because that's where you need to say amen. We, we have the completed Word of God, but there are still men of God in our midst. Amen. Brother Furs used to be one of those. <laughs> I'm only teasing, brother. <laughs> now I understand not all those who say they are called of God are actually called of God. But there are still those who are called by God to speak His Word. Not perfect, but called. And I wonder what your opinion this morning is about the preachers of God. Those that God has placed in your path throughout your life. And I'd be curious what you think of me as your pastor. Don't tell me because it may not be good. But do you believe that God puts these men in your life to help? Now, I'm talking about the real deal. Alright? I'm not talking about the, um, the fakes out there. Now, I don't, I don't ask you what you think about me to, to, to hear an amen. Uh, in order for me to sleep well tonight, I will sleep well if it stays this cool. <clears throat> Your response doesn't change my calling. It doesn't change my post. But I do ask because how you view the pastor and men of God in general, it's going to influence what you get when you come in here. Yeah, it will. It'll, it'll impact what you get out of preaching. And certainly, how you view me will greatly affect what you are willing to hear when we meet together corporately or individually. If you have a lack of respect for the pastor and a lack of respect for preachers, then when you listen, you'll do so with a hypercritical spirit. And instead of hearing what God may have for you, you may instead sit there and pick apart every word, thinking, who does this guy think he is? On the other hand, if you understand that God calls preachers in your life to be a help, then you can come in here, listen with the right spirit, and actually get something from the message. <laughs> I always, well, I shouldn't chuckle. Sometimes it's the only way I can cope, amen. Nobody's done it here yet, and I'll call them a liar if they even try to say it. But I've heard preachers get up and say, you know, people will come up to them and say, well, we're leaving, we're leaving here because we're just not getting fed enough. Now, I'll call you a liar here because I know I studied my tail off. And uh, so I'm not buying that. But anybody who says that uh, from the kind of men I've been hearing that hear those kind of things, they're just not coming in ready to hear. So it really depends on what you think about um, the man of God, the church, the, the whole bit. But if you have a lack of respect and you have this hypercritical spirit and you pick apart everything, uh, you're not going to get much. But if you do come in with the right spirit, um, we can have meaningful interactions. And you can look at it not as 
um, some preacher trying to push some personal agenda or something like that. Uh, now, I love pastoring, but I would not have chose pastoring. All right, I just say that so you know I'm not up here because um, I read that this was a cool way to make a living by working very little. And, um, and I just thought, man, that'd be kind of nice if I could preach just a couple hours a week. And yeah, wife and I could go gallivanting around and take the cruise ship out. Amen. Which is about to fall apart, but I love that thing. So anyway, I'm getting way off track, but we could look at several examples in the Bible of how people either heeded or dismissed the message of God's man and how that turned out for them. Um, I'll save you the time by telling you this. It never went well when they uh, disregarded what God's man had to say. Um, God would speak through his prophets and preachers, and when they would dismiss that, they were dismissing the word of God. We've seen some people come and go. We're always going to see that, right? I mean, that's just part of it is we're, a, we're kind of a military church, half military church, and so uh, we're going to constantly see people rotate out unless we can, you know, bring false accusation and get you in Article 15, get you kicked out. Um, we'll do that, brother. We offer a package deal. Um, minimal fee, minimal fee. And so, um, hold on, we got a military missionary with us today. I better... <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. Don't take that word back to Yokota. Amen. Uh, it's an honor to have you with us, sir. Um, and so anyway, um, we, we don't do that kind of thing around here unless you really want us to. But we've seen people come and go. Um, now, some needed to go. I hate to say that because it does break my heart. But God knows what he's doing. Um, some have left and it has really broke my heart because I don't feel like they left um, under God's will. Um. There are two that immediately come to mind in the context that I'm trying to talk about here. Both men had very little respect for me uh, as their pastor, and both left under very humiliating circumstances. Refu listen now. Refusing to heed sound biblical doctrine. <clears throat> I know there are charlatans out there. But if someone is giving you book, chapter, and verse from this King James Bible, you need to heed that. And if you get in a church where you know there's a true man of God, then you need to plant yourself there. Well, I don't like getting my toes stepped. Well, I don't know that I like it either, but it's, it's needed, right? Um, now, we don't have to browbeat. Um, no one really seems to mind when a preacher shows up with words of encouragement. So good to have you this morning, sister. But where were you at Wednesday night? Um, I wasn't here, so I don't... <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I was not where I should have been, I guess. Um, anyway, nobody minds the encouragement. Um, but what about the times when there's rebuke? reproof. And, and like I was kind of hinting at just a second ago, I don't mean a, a preacher that just gets up and rails on people that is just harsh and, you know, browbeats, has a bully pulpit in the flesh. Uh, I, I don't mean that. But I mean a preacher nonetheless who will lift up his voice like a trumpet and preach, thus saith the Lord. How does, what does that do to you? How would you react 
if Samuel came to you as he did to Saul and said, Thou hast done foolishly. How would you feel if Nathan came to you and said, Thou art the man? I know how many reacted in the Bible. And just to sum it up, I can read to you Hebrews eleven thirty six through 38. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. They weren't received well, what I'm saying. Because nobody likes re- re- rebuke. That's why we have the military. 90% of the people join because I don't want my dad telling me what to do. I know how many would react today. Well, just who do you think you are? You have no right to tell me what to do. And my family won't be back at that church. And off they go to a church where their ears can be tickled. And they can have their mediocre brand of Christianity. God said through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 30 verses 9 through 13. This is a rebellious people. Lying children. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophecy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophecy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the past. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Now, how do you think they received the word from Isaiah? I don't know if it's true or not, but according to some secular history, it is said that when Hebrews talked about those being sawn asunder, that Isaiah was one of those. And that secular history I've read where they would have taken ropes and tied him between two horses, stretched him out and cut him in half. We ought to want to hear the pure Word of God preached. Not some watered down, feel good message. There's a song entitled, Preacher, Tell Me Like It Is. I don't listen to this song, it just popped in my head and that's the way my mind functions. But So I don't know if it's one of these, you know, let me sing the chorus 15 times before we end the song, Southern Gospel Nonsense, or if it's actually, you know, anyway. Um, all right, you asked for an encore, you get it. Ah, nobody asked for it. What? All right. <clears throat> Preacher, I'd say it's been a while since you heard this request, but my spirit is tired and I need rest. I want to hear from heaven a clear word from God. A sermon of conviction straight from the heart. I've been hearing other preachers say I don't have to change. The most eloquent of speakers tell me I'm okay. But it hasn't eased my conscience and I know it's not the truth. So when you stand before us, can I count on you? 
So open up the Word and let the Spirit lead. Preach until I've heard God speak to me. Don't worry about my feelings. Don't worry about my shame. Just preach the cross of Jesus and that I'm to blame. Oh, preacher, you say you want to be my friend. Don't be afraid to call my sin what it is. And preacher, tell me I can overcome, but it's only by the blood of the Lamb. Don't tell me like I wish it was. Preacher, tell me like it is. And then the bridge is, life is quickly passing, the world is fading fast, and the foolishness of preaching is the only hope we have. And I hope that's the kind of attitude you have when you come to church. By the way, you need to come to church prepared to receive the Word of God. I thank God that the Holy Spirit can break through the toughness of how people enter in. But how much more beneficial would it be if we would just enter in already prepared? It's like when we went to Silver State this year. Let's get ready before we get there. Because God usually begins to really move on day three, Wednesday, because people have to get de-plugged and un- unplugged. Um, and, and hey, you know what would be even better is if we showed up Sunday night ready. And so you might as well just go ahead and get ready for Sunday church on Saturday. When the prophets showed up, they didn't bring some new strange word. But often it was just the simple message of repentance. They just preached the word of God. They didn't always perform miracles. But help would often come in the form of encouraging to continue in the the work of God. Uh, It might come in the form of rebuke to just man up and do what God's called you to do. Help would normally be to get us in gear and get us going. And this is how Haggai is used by God. And we find in the rest of Ezra chapter 5 that uh, and chapter 6 that Haggai is just simply getting the people uh, to do what they should have been doing all along. Whether or not they had a royal decree from Simon, I mean, listen, they should have been busy building the house of God. They had a word from the king of Persia, they had the decree, they had the resources. Well, let's continue chapter 6 here. Oh, hold on. Oh, I got ahead of my notes. Let's read verse 3 here of chapter 5. I'm sorry. <clears throat> At the same time, so Haggai shows up on the scene. At the same time came them to Tatnai, forgive me on these pronunciations, it's going to be brutal. Governor on this side of the river, and uh, Shethar Boznai and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them after this manner, we are the names of the men that make this building. Or excuse me, what are the names of the men that make this building? But the eyes of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And, and then they returned answer by letter concerning the matter. So Haggai shows up, they're getting back to work. Uh, they're starting to inquire, what you doing this for? Then copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar Bozni and his companions and, and Apharsakites, were, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Darius the king. They sent a letter unto him wherein was written thus, Unto Darius the king all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is built with great stones, and timber is laid in the walls. 
and that this work goeth fast on and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders and said unto them, Thus, who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us answering, uh, turned us answer saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven of the, and earth and build the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath, he gave them unto the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus, make, made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon. And they were delivered unto one whose name was Sheshbazar, who he had made governor, and said unto him, Take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in his place. Then came the, the same guy that I just tried to pronounce, and laid the foundation of the house of God which is in Jerusalem. And since that time, even until now, hath it been in building, and yet it is not finished. Now therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so, that a decree was made of Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. So if you remember from our introductory lesson, this is what they should have done in the first place. Does everybody remember that? Uh, when Artaxerxes issued a decree to stop, they should have requested that search be made in Persia on whether or not Cyrus had issued a decree to build. They didn't do that. But God sent a prophet to help them, to get them going. They start to work. The enemies notice what's going on here. You should have stopped. And then they send the letter back to Persia to find, a, to find search of the role. Obviously, they had, they had that. Look at chapter 6. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls, where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Agmetha in the palace that is in the province in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king, made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be built at the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof threescore cubits, the breadth thereof threescore cubits, with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, and let the expenses be given out of the king's house. This is amazing. And also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought, it, brought unto Babylon, and restored, uh, be restored, and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, everyone to his place, and placed them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatnai, the governor beyond the river, uh, Shethar, Bozni, and uh, your companions, and Aphar, Sakites, um, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. <laughs> let the work of this house, I just made me like, get on out of here. Um, let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of, the, of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. 
and that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil according to the appointed appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifice of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter his word, let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house. <clears throat> Excuse me. This house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. And Tat and I, governor, on this side of the river, um, she, Tharabos, and I, and their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built it and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month, uh, Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. We may come back to those latter verses uh, here later in this study towards the end of it. But uh, isn't it interesting that all it took for the work of God, uh, for the work on God's house to resume was for God's people to be obedient to God's word given by God's man. That's all it took. Uh, all, all it took was a man of God coming in and saying, look, this is what God's told us to do. This is how we're going to go forward. This is how we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden, work starts. And not only that, Persia's paying for it. Somebody said, you're going to take a, you're going to take a love gift from some, uh, from some company? Yeah, man. We good Baptist. Uh, I'll take your money and I'll build a house for you. Oh, amen. Uh, anyway. God uses His men to stir His people to accomplish the work of God. Pastors and teachers are of God to help us in the work of God by the Word of God. They are used to strengthen our hands and encourage us in the work of God. Matthew Henry wrote, It is a sign that God has mercy in store for a people when He raises up prophets among them to be their helpers in the way and work of God, their guides, overseers, and rulers. Now, go back to Haggai. I hope you put your thumb there or a marker. Haggai, let's read verses 1 and 2 again this, this time. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, unto Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So as a reminder, the children of Judah had started the process of building but when the first attacks came, they ceased. And it was as if they were all too content to just stop work. So we're backing up just a little bit chron chronologically from where we just ended in Ezra 5. Um, and, and they were all too content to just let the word work stop. And so God comes to Haggai. And we see their attitude in verse 2. They apparently took the outward attacks to mean it's not time for us to go forward. I mean, if this was God's will, we wouldn't be suffering. 
Come on now, we do the same thing. And, and they, they took the attacks as the time's not come. The, the time's not come to build the Lord's house. But I want to tell you that attacks are always going to come. And at no point should the work of God cease. And since we already covered this thought last time, let's continue by reading verses 3 through 5. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The word of the Lord comes to, through Haggai saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house uh, lie waste? Now what happened? There, there's a lesson here that I've had to learn. Uh, in fact, it was, you remember, I can't remember if it was last year or two years ago, uh, Adam Jones tagged me along to Costa Rica. He level jumped our friendship is what he did. And, um, but how do you turn down a free trip to Costa Rica? And it came at the perfect time. I mean, I was just, there was just a lot going on in the church, and, and I really just needed a break, to be honest with you. And I, I took a book that Dr. Vogelin had gave me when he had come for anniversary days, and, um, and I read that. And, and here's what I learned. There was a statement in that book that has just been imprinted on my mind. Um, Never doubt in the night what God has revealed in the light. Never doubt in the night what God has revealed in the light. God had already revealed in the light of His Word through the prophet Isaiah over 150 years earlier that the day in which they were living was going to come. And that a man named Cyrus was going to rise up. Let the captives go and the city would be rebuilt in the temple. Isaiah 44 verses 26 through 28 say, That confirmeth the word of his servant uh, and performeth, this is speaking of Cyrus, and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. That saith of the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. And then in Isaiah 45 and verse 13, I have raised him up in righteousness, speaking of Cyrus again. And I will direct all his ways, and he shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. So they not only had the light of God's Word telling them this day was going to come, that you were going to do this, but they had um, the word of Jeremiah's prophecy. They had the word of Daniel's prophecy. They, they, they had the Word of God. And what's even more in, in, in amazing to me is they lived, many of them, um, well, I shouldn't say many, the elders lived through the time when Cyrus issued the decree. They saw the Word of God being fulfilled right before their eyes. <laughs> I mean, that would motivate me, I think. I shouldn't speak too quick. But when the night of attacks came, they doubted what God had revealed in the light. 
And I just want to encourage you, never give up on the call of God for your life. I don't know about you, but attacks come my way often. And often, you can just let it roll off your back. And I, I realize all attacks should be that way, but sometimes the attacks are such that I want to be like Judah, and I just want to go dwell in my sealed house. Leave off the work of God. And I speak that to my shame. But in those times of the night, I know I have a word which God gave me in the light. And for those who have heard my testimony, you know it's Psalm 119.45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. And I go back to the light of God's word, where he showed me the work he has called me to do. Is everybody with me? And, and that's to be here at this church Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, Rapid City, South Dakota. I know that in the light. And when the night comes, if I don't go back to that, begin to withdraw and dwell in our own little world. So what has God called you to do for His work? Then do it. Don't doubt when the attacks come. Don't doubt when the night closes in around you. Remember what God has revealed to you in the light. Because the problem is, when we doubt in the night, we sometimes are tempted to just do what we want to do. That's what Judah did. They turned their attention from the house of God to their own houses. Their desire turned from God's work to their own work. And so God uses Haggai to ask Judah, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in sealed houses while the house of God lie waste? I also see here that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Come on now, say amen right there. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. We'll make our career the main thing. What's more important than the work of God? I know in here we'll say nothing. That's why religious people are the hardest to reach. But some don't make church a priority. Can we just be real? Some don't make prayer a priority. Some don't make Bible reading a priority. Some don't make giving a priority. Some don't make witnessing a priority. Instead, we make athletics the main thing. Hobbies the main thing. Jobs the main thing. In short, what we do is we make ourselves the main thing. And if we could just get a hold of that first phrase in verse 4. And get a hold of it in the context in which it is being used. Is it time for you? Isaiah chapter 5 verses 8 through 13 say, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears said the Lord of hosts, Of a truth many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. 
Yea, ten acres of a vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah. But unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, and continue until night, till wine inflame them, and the harp, and the vial, and the tavern, and pipe, and wine are in their feast. Listen now. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation um, uh-oh. The operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished. Their multitude dried up with thirst. So here's what happens. We begin to place things above God. And, and what we place above God's work is what ends up taking us captive. Now, we wouldn't put it that way. But that's what happens. We become enslaved to those things. And you're either going to be enslaved to Christ or the things of this world. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. He said, I've been apprehended by Christ. Now, before you have a coronary, I'm not insinuating that you don't take a vacation. That you don't have some downtime, that you don't have a hobby, that you don't participate in sports, that you don't have a career. I understand there's times we need to come apart or we'll come apart. But I'm saying don't let those things take you away from the work of God. And ask yourself this, is it time for me? And when you don't want to teach that class, or you don't want to work on that bus route, or when you don't want to knock on that door, or when you don't want to preach, or when you don't want to help that one yet again, or when you don't want to give and you don't want to go to the press, ask yourself, is it time for me? And if the answer is no, then get the work of God done! Haggai asked, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Do you think the time is right that you should focus so heavily, uh, so heavily on your own house when the house of God lie in waste? Do you think it's time that you should do your own thing when the house of God is being neglected? But isn't that what our culture is doing today? Those outside of here are more concerned about their new car with their fancy sound system and their cool wheels. They're more concerned with their new house, their new clothes, their fine cuisines than they are the things of God. In America, we're saying the time has come for us. We could apply this to our own house spiritually, you know, personally here. Um, is what I mean. But, um, you know, we, we need to take care of the temple of God. We need to be feeding it with the Word of God, meditating it, reading it, memorizing it. Um, we, we could go down that road, but that's not the context here. And, and so um, I, I just want to footstomp one thing here, though. Rather than reading, meditating, and memorizing, we'd rather read the latest novel. <laughs> I was listening to a guy preach. I love this. 
And he said, uh, he said, we act like reading your Bible through in a year is such a great feat. He said, you know, it really only takes you about six minutes a day to do that. Wow. I didn't say it. Somebody else did. So don't get mad at me. But we'd rather read the latest novel, memorize the latest sports scores and stats, keep up with pop culture happenings, immerse ourselves in worldly music, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I'll stop there. But the context of Haggai is about the physical house of God. Um, certainly application can be made, but they may have been comfortable in their own houses. Listen now. But they couldn't worship God as He, has, he had prescribed according to His law. Is everybody following where I'm going with this? So, yeah, they were comfortable in their house, but they couldn't do what God, they could not worship as God has instructed them to worship. And what people say today is, well, I can worship God at my house. Well, I can worship God anywhere I please. That may be a true statement, but it's not a complete statement. And may I say, if you make that statement to insinuate you don't need church, then that is a very ignorant statement. There's a reason God gave the tabernacle. There's a reason God gave the temple. And there's a reason that God sent His only begotten Son to bleed and to die to establish the church. There's so much here we would need another series. But you cannot worship God in all the ways God has prescribed without the church of the living God. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. Not your house. Not the woods. Not your commute into your work. Now why would you want to forsake the church? Why? Christ bled for the church. He died for the church. He gifted the church. He's glorified in the church. Don't forsake church. Well, preacher, we're here this morning. I know, but guess what? We're going to have service tonight. We're going to have service Wednesday night. So I learned a new word through this study. That's not hard for me to do. This word for sealed is defined as wainscot. <laughs> what does that mean? I love how dumb I feel when I try to look up a word and it gives me a definition of a word that I don't know. So I'm like three layers into this definition trying to figure this out. Some of you may say, well, you're stupid. I know what that means. But um, hearing wainscot doesn't help this hillbilly one bit. So I had to look up wainscot. And this is in context um, here. It essentially means this. Not only built, but adorned. Adorned. Everybody got that? Is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? It wasn't just that they had left off building the house of God in, in favor of having a roof over their head. I think God would be okay with that if I provide some sort of shelter for my wife and kids. But it means they were putting a lot of money and resources into their own houses while the house of God was desolate. They were not seeking 
their necessities, they were seeking their own earthly pleasures above God's work in God's house. Ultimately, God's glory. And when we would rather find time for our own pleasure, our own fancies, than find time for the things of God and God's house, then it is clear that we prefer our own private interest above God's cause. So where are you at this morning? Are you placing an emphasis on the things of God in your own life? Are you finding more time for yourself than you are for God? Does your family know the things of God are far more important to you than your own selfish pursuits? Maybe we need to do what verse 5 says. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Let's consider our ways today. And let's see if we need to get back to making the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that it was a help this morning to your people. And that we would consider our ways and that we would not put our own desires and um, wants ahead of your work. So God, will you help us, please? to serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Go with us into the morning service. May it just bless your heart. May the preaching reach the heart of the lost. The backslidden encourage the, the servant. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.